I'm Sarah Resnick. And I'm LaShawn Moore. And we are the hosts of the Weave Podcast, a project of the weaving yarn shop, Just Yarn and Fiber. Hi, everyone. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to start out by saying thank you to everyone who reached out after last week's episode. It was definitely a difficult conversation to have, but it was a necessary one. I'm excited to learn about the ways in which that conversation has sparked other conversations amongst people within the fiber community that listen to this podcast. I ask that you please continue to keep the conversation going and to continue to find ways that you and your immediate surrounding can create the change that we want to see in the world, not just the fiber community. Also, we have read through a lot of the things that you all have said and sent to us. And Sarah and I, as well as the other members of the Just Yarn team, are brainstorming and actively thinking of ways that we can grow and be better as a yarn business, as well as as podcast producers. On this week's episode, I'm speaking with Michelle, the owner of Stitching Shop. Michelle is a Chicago-based fiber artist who creates custom textile art pieces using fiber techniques such as tufting, embroidery stitching, and weaving. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, hi, LaShawn. Thank you for having me. Can you start out by introducing yourself and telling us about your background, where you're from, and how you began working with textiles? Sure. Um, I actually was born in Chicago, where I live now, um, but I grew up in Minnesota. My mom's family was living there, so we moved when I was about four, before I had started school. Um, but then I came back to Chicago for college, and I've been here ever since. Um, I was at Northwestern as an art history student, but that meant I could pre-register for art classes as well. Um so I guess that's sort of where my journey began, but Northwestern doesn't have any kind of fiber program, unfortunately. So it wasn't until I was working at a gallery in Chicago called Lil Street Gallery. Um, it used to be on Lil Avenue, I believe it's called, um, in the Old Town neighborhood, but it was in Ravenswood at the time. And they were offering one of their first weaving classes while I was working there. I was um, the gallery website coordinator at the time, but you could take classes as staff, which was fantastic. And we had a student from the School of the Art Institute who was actually teaching weaving. Um, and I loved it. <laughs> um, I fell in love immediately. And I... I had done embroidery and knitting. Um, I guess really I should thank the restaurant industry because um, me and my boyfriend at the time had different schedules. So while he was at work, um, I would want to pick up something. So I learned how to knit and embroider just to keep myself busy on those nights when he was working and I was off. Um, so I worked first in restaurants, then at the gallery and so I had already had a bit of a background in fiber, but I had never experienced weaving before that class. And I would say that weaving was really my first fiber love. It wasn't until I took that class that I just started really getting into it and buying way too much yarn. And um, I actually substituted for that student's class 
that SESC student, she had a conflict and I was her sub. After I had taken her first class, I subbed for her second one and really enjoyed teaching it. And so then a few years later, um, once I had really developed my practice, I offered my own weaving class down here at the Hyde Park Art Center. It was a frame loom weaving class for beginners. They had also never had a weaving class before me. And that was so enjoyable because I really feel like you learn so much more watching other people learn a skill than you could ever hope to do on your own just by practicing by yourself. Um, I know teaching is daunting for a lot of people, but I feel like if you've ever wanted to try it, just do it. <laughs> it's so rewarding. Um, but yeah, after that first weaving class, that was back in 2016. I started uh, my Instagram and my Etsy shop, and I've always had other jobs. It's always been kind of a two-lane path I'm on where I have some sort of day job, and I'm doing all of my fiber work in my free time or taking time off from work to do it. <laughs> um, so it's been a hustle, but I wouldn't change it. It's been Great. That was kind of a circuitous story with lots of loops <laughs> and turns, but hopefully that all made sense. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I'm curious, in the first weaving class that you started, what type of weaving were you teaching and what kind of looms were you using? So my weaving class um, in Hyde Park, I actually found a man who makes frame looms on Etsy after hours of searching <laughs> For something that looks structurally sound, I found this, I should find his name. He's fantastic. Um, but he was willing to do kind of like a bulk deal with the art center. So, um, he was building these frame looms for us, which was great. And, um, the first class I took, we were actually building our own looms with just stretcher bars from Blick and mm. nails <laughs> that we would have to measure out and then hammer in. But, um, that took up almost a whole class just building the looms. And I really wanted people to just get started. I did a brief history of, um, frame loom weaving, um, and talking about Navajo weavers and like, all you need is a tree and some sticks and you can weave. You don't have to have a lot of equipment. Um, and then we got started doing first just plain weave. And then I taught shapes and fringe and patterns. And the last class, it was only five weeks, but the last class for every session was always, what do you want to learn? Come with what you've seen on Instagram or online. And as a class, we'll kind of figure out what is in these images and help recreate it. Even though you just learned, I bet you can do it. <laughs> and they love that. <laughs> it was so much fun. What's also really interesting and I think really beautiful about your work is the multitude of ways that you use fibers. You do stitching and embroidery. I've seen tufting and weaving. Can you describe all of the different forms of, of fiber making that you do and kind of how you came into those skills? Yeah. Um, so like I had said, it did start with embroidery and knitting. I don't know what made me want to do those two things simultaneously, but um, I actually think I remember it was a wool in the gang pattern that I used to first learn. It was this little beanie that had this cheetah print on it. So you had to take a tapestry needle and kind of weave the leopard print 
on top of what you knit as a hat. Um, mm. So I was like, oh, this is really similar to embroidery. I just need a different needle <laughs> and some cloth. And um, I'm completely self-taught with embroidery. I did learn knitting on those patterns, but um, I don't know. I think I have this like polyamorous love affair with fiber. I always want to learn something <laughs> new. I'm learning to crochet right now. And mm. I think that oftentimes I'll have some sort of idea come to me. And uh, I don't know, like that's how tufting happened. I did take a tufting class at the Hyde Park Art Center. It was a two day workshop with an artist named Dee Clements, who is pretty well known in Chicago. She has um, this weaving studio called Studio Heron. Um, but she also was tufting on her own on the side and wanted to teach this workshop. And we used a tufting gun for that. So it's this really old fashioned mechanism that basically is punching a hole and pulling the yarn through every hole you punch. Um, you should look up videos. It's kind of wild. And when you get to like industrial scale size tufters, there's these huge machines that make a ton of noise that any tufted rug you see in a store would have been made with those unless it's hand tufted. Mm. And that would be like multiple thousands of dollars. Um, but again, I don't know. I'm just too curious. I wasn't satisfied with just tufting on a tufting gun. I wanted to do smaller scale work. Um, I've noticed that it is harder to frame things that are flat and two dimensional. So lately I've been working on frames, just getting them from Michael's and, often tufting and embroidering on those. So for that tufting, I had to start using a tapestry needle and basically punching my own holes by hand. And when you create a loop with the yarn, you can end up with all these loops that then you cut and basically make like a fringe on the canvas. Um, so all this is to say, I will take a class, I will take a pattern and learn from it and then expand on that. Um, sort of MacGyvering my way through just because oftentimes what's in my head, I haven't been taught. I have to kind of figure out how to make what I envision a reality. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about tufting. I've seen more people get interested in in it in the you know fiber arts world. I've never tried it myself, but I didn't realize that people also hand tufted as well as used guns. Like I, I've mainly seen people use guns, but that actually sounds really interesting. I'm kind of uh, interested in trying that for myself. Um, but would you say that hand tufting is similar to hand stitching? It is. It's actually, um, it's a little more aggressive than hand stitching though. I have to watch and make sure I'm not doing it for too long because if your tapestry needle isn't sharp enough, I mean, you're punching these holes by hand and I'm working on stretched and painted canvas. So it can be a little resistant to wanting to be punched because it's not what the canvas was intended for. It was supposed to be painted on, but, you know, screw that. I'm going to tuft. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I do think um, embroidery is much more detailed. And I will find that when I've been working on an embroidery project too long, at the end of it, I immediately want to tuft something just because it's much more free form too. You don't, I personally don't really sketch anything out. And while doing that, I'm able to kind of let things sort of just appear on the canvas. So it's much more organic too than having like a set plan for embroidery. I do lots of 
more, it's not sketched, but it's more planned and structured and there's like fine edges to the shapes and with tufting, it's much more fluid and it's kind of like wherever the tapestry needle goes, that's where the next tuft is going to be sometimes. (laughs) So yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And can you speak specifically to your hand stitching techniques and process? I'm thinking a lot about the piece that you posted on your Instagram that was inspired by Kente cloth. Yeah, that was even more interesting than I had originally thought it could be because researching for that project, um, I learned that Kente cloth is actually usually developed by men. Women are not involved in that process at all. So I was really excited. I was even more excited once I learned more about it. Um, but that piece and most of my more recent work actually is based off of friends coming to me saying that they want a piece, but oftentimes it ends at that. <laughs> um, my friend for the Kente cloth piece, she said her favorite colors were, what did she say? It was gold, red, orange, and purple. And I was like, these are sort of my least favorite colors. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> um, but she is Nigerian, my friend. And um, I was talking to her about, I was actually researching cloth just in general for other things. I had gotten this textile history book and was just going through it. So I went to her and I was like, I'm really into Kente cloth right now. Can I use your favorite colors that you mentioned and make a piece for you that's based off of that? Um So that's sort of how that came about. But that's sort of my new favorite thing is when people come with a really abstract idea and let me play with it. And so far, everyone has been happy with the results, which is great. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's sort of how that one came about, though. And have there been any like books, blogs or artists that have inspired you and, and your work throughout your fiber journey? Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. Um, I wish I could see my bookshelf from here. I think I can do it. <laughs> um, so I am always perusing um, Powell's books down here on the south side of Chicago. It's a great resource for fiber um, texts. So there's, of course, the textile designs book. It's like this 400-page book of designs all throughout history. Um, print, fashion, interiors, and art is another big one. Basically, anything that has a cloth cover that's been stitched on, I will buy it. Because <laughs> um, oftentimes, they'll have samples as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm on Instagram, but I see mostly people, they'll have sort of one medium. They'll be the macrame Instagram and the woman who weaves and the woman who dies. And Mm. I feel like I want to find more people that are doing more things and not just doing one medium. Um, So often I will turn to more textile based books rather than Instagram, because that will have a whole range of mediums in them rather than just focusing on one type. Um, But yeah, does that answer your question? (laughs) (laughs) yeah it does I mean I'm always really curious if fiber artists have artists that they like look up to or whose work kind of inspired them um, because 
you know, fiber arts, whether it's weaving or stitching or embroidery, like they've existed for such a, a long time that uh, I'm just curious how people are drawn to it and what kinds of work kind of informs the work that artists are making in the contemporary field. Yeah, that's a great point. And I will say, while these books do cover kind of the history of textiles, I will say that I am more drawn to, I mean, if you look on my Instagram, you'll see it really bright colors. I have tried to do neutral things and it just never seems to, (laughs) I just never finish the project. If I start anything that's neutral, it just never gets done. Um, So there are some people um, like Juju Joost. She's in Asheville. She is a weaver, but she does a lot of really colorful fringe on her pieces and they're really large scale as well. Um, so she's a big inspiration for sure, but really anyone that's basically taking the history and shifting it or turning it on its head. That's really interesting to me. I'm less interested in more traditional making, even though that is where everything began. I think that, there's so much you can do in this moment with new technology and dyeing practices and there are more colors available to us and there's more types of equipment we can have as well. I think we're in a really interesting moment that I think not to say that you shouldn't do things in a traditional way, but there's so much you can do in addition to that now, which is really exciting to me. Mm, Absolutely. And can you talk about your weaving practice specifically? Like what types of looms are you using and how you plan your color ways and, and the patterning that's in your weavings? Yeah. Um, so I have two different frame looms, one by that gentleman whose name I will find by the end of this podcast. Um, <laughs> and um, one that was actually two that were at Lil Street, um, they had a whole bunch of frame looms with pegs in them that were actually bought and not built by students. Um, and there was actually a broken down Leclerc loom in the closet that I was gifted <laughs> and um, put back together. It's a four harness table loom that I've mm. used. But I don't know. The more I'm talking with you, I realize that I... I am a little schizophrenic when it comes to my work. I <laughs> like things that are a little quicker and um, the pieces I can complete in a week or so. And the two pieces I've made on my Leclerc loom, they took months to finish just because I wasn't as drawn to that work. And so it did take me, it took more effort for me to bring myself to that loom. <laughs> um, so I don't really use that as much and I haven't really been weaving as much in more recent years either um that's not true I still taught my weaving class up until the end of 2018 but since then it's been much more focused on embroidery and tufting and knitting and now crochet which I'm excited about Mm. It's really interesting to hear you talk about wanting to make work that doesn't take as long because I feel like I am kind of the same way where if it takes 
maybe like a month or so, I have a hard time putting it down and coming back to it. And I think that's what makes a lot of weaving on larger floor looms a little bit more difficult, um, especially being that I'm also mixed media. So for two weeks, I might be obsessing over dyeing something. And then the next two weeks, I want to like make a shirt. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... It's juggling the interdisciplinary aspects of being a fiber artist when you when you have so many different ways that you want to express yourself. I absolutely understand that. Yeah, and you seem to have the benefit of, like, you can dye something and then make a shirt with it. Like, that sounds great. <laughs> and I think some people are much better able to have that kind of step-by-step process that will have them doing multiple things. Um I haven't yet found a way to marry my interests with wanting to do one medium one day and then taking that and applying it to something I want to do the next day or the next week. It's much more of like, I will do this type of project and then this type of project. And so I guess you're what I aspire to. I would love to have that, <laughs> um, those multiple interests and multiple media. Mm. all end up in one project that would be fantastic but I haven't found a way to do that yet but it's possible (laughs) yeah I would say the one thing that I'm trying to work on is finishing things Uh (laughs) like as soon as you said that I was like yeah and then it's like also like I I rarely finish things or or I don't know when things are done Yes. If that makes any yes. sense. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just like, is this, is this over? I'm not sure. <laughs> I totally feel that too. Yeah. Yeah. So you also have an Etsy shop. It's called Stitchering Shop where you yes. sell handmade fiber-based goods. Um, when did you start your business and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, I started that almost as soon as I started weaving, um, I was posting my first second weaves ever on uh, my Instagram and people reached out and wanted me to make pieces for them. And I didn't know really how to sell them without using Etsy. Um, so that was where I sold my first two pieces back in 2016. And um, like I said before, because I am doing this in parallel with my quote unquote day job, which is not full time, thank goodness, but it still takes up a lot of my week. I have not reached the quantity that I want to. I want to get bright, colorful things in the homes of everyone I love. <laughs> and I am limited by how many hours that in a day there are that I can mm. devote to what I really love to do. And really, since being home, um, from coronavirus, I've been working remotely since mid-March. And um, if there is a conference call, if there is a webcast, you better believe I am making something while (laughs) I am (laughs) talking to people because really I've never had so much time to devote to the work that I love to do. And um, it's unfortunate that it's had to come about during the time of the pandemic, but um, I'm trying to make the most of it (laughs) and get Mm. more work out there into the world yeah 
And you live and work in Chicago, which is a really beautiful city. And as you expressed earlier, you have tapped into a lot of those artist communities. And there's the Art Institute of Chicago. I'm really interested if you can speak to the fiber community in Chicago and if you're able to connect with those communities and other fiber artists. Yeah. um, Like I had said just before we started recording that um, there is a, a fair amount of work being done in Chicago. I feel like, um, New York and LA and Oakland, everyone seems to have more of a following <laughs> in those places, but in Chicago, there's absolutely really great work being done. Um, that Leclerc loom I mentioned that I repaired, I did that at the Chicago Weeping School. Um, with the help of Natalie, who's the main instructor there, um, who's fantastic. I was taking a floor loom class, my first ever floor loom class there back in, I think this is 2017, and um, just rented a car one day to bring my loom to the class. I let her know, but <laughs> we spent um, a good portion of one class day just rebuilding this loom together, which was so fantastic. And um, I know Emily Winter has been on the podcast. She runs the Chicago Weaving School, which I had a chance to tour at one point. And they are making um, not even small batch runs at this point. They're making pretty sizable runs of towels and blankets. And they did a coat last winter. They are in a, a mill, an actual mill that's just hidden in Humboldt Park in Chicago. You'd never know it was there. Um, but they have this amazing large-scale equipment, loud large-scale equipment. <laughs> um, and so that is amazing. And I mentioned Dee Clements, um, who taught me tufting and now also lives in Hyde Park, it turns out. Um, I have yet to reach out to her. Maybe I should do that <laughs> now that we live in the same neighborhood. Um, but yeah, there's there's really beautiful things happening here. And what seems to be more of a trend too, is that it's, it's functional goods. It's less of like, we're going to be in a white walled space somewhere. It's really like, let's get woven things into people's homes. Like D Clements is making furniture and weaving light structures out of like she's doing basket weaving basically, but has found a way to make lights out of that. And it's really amazing. I feel like, Maybe that's because Chicago has always been such an industrial hub. <laughs> um, not to say that beautiful things can't be made as well, but I kind of love that marriage of this really useful way to have weaving appear in your daily life. I don't know how much of that is conscious or how much of that is based on where we are, but I think it's a really beautiful marriage of the industry of Chicago showing up in someone's home on their kitchen little hook with a towel. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. And I'm also really interested in how you have been able to sustain your practice. I know it's really difficult firsthand as an artist to sustain, whether it be environmentally, you know, trying to make sure that as artists we are not contributing to global warming, socially dealing with the discriminations that we face, and then also just financially what it's like to try to survive off of an art practice. Yeah, that's a great point. And um, 
Yeah, I feel like there's so much to say about that. <laughs> Especially, I mean, we're recording this in the wake of George Floyd's murder and the social media response to that. There is just so much going on. And I I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but um, the Amplify Melanated Voices hashtag has become quite prolific. Is that the right word? <laughs> it's, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. And um, I feel like I had really mixed emotions about that. At first, I was really excited that people of color were going to have more of a presence on Instagram, but it turns out that is on white people's Instagram, they will be promoted. And this is only happening in the wake of a national outcry against the way this country has treated black people. And why is that what it took for people of color to be represented on social media? And yes, social media maybe seems trivial, but that translates to then opportunities offline. If you have a big following on Instagram, you'll get that connection to paint that mural on that building or make that huge weaving in Google. (laughs) Um, And so I feel like, yeah, um, I don't, I, I have so much to say. I am a black woman also. I feel like I've talked with my parents a lot about how they raised me to just have my work speak for itself. And they don't, they always say, don't make it about race. And they are slowly changing. And I feel like the country is as well. But it, it's not saying that I should be put ahead of people because of my race. But it's, it's more that I have been set back from people because of my race. Yeah, (laughs) Um, absolutely. Especially the fiber world, like this Leclerc loom that I put back together online, it costs like $600, sometimes up to a thousand. And weaving classes are really expensive. Um, The weaving class I taught at the Hyde Park Art Center would have even been too expensive for some people as well. And I think... um, There's also, it even goes back to like the hierarchy of needs, even (laughs) like if you are trying, um, I felt this myself. I, when I graduated college, didn't have a job. I was working in two restaurants and at anthropology, (laughs) um, really hustling and then also trying to make fiber work on the side. And that fiber work took an amazing backseat when you're just trying to pay rent and feed yourself. You are not thinking about what you can make on the side you don't have time you are tired you um so Mm -hmm. i think there's a a base level that people need before they can think about making beautiful things even though for me it is very therapeutic and very helpful for my mental health i feel like that is why you don't see as many people of color in the art world in general because they're are just basic needs that a lot of our peers don't have and they need to have those needs met before they can think about making things. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that was a tangent, but <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I couldn't have 
put it any better myself, honestly. And I think for me also, it's really telling when you look at the fiber community and the history of Black people in America as it pertains specifically to fiber making, fiber production, and overall labor in this country, even in today's world, we're just now having this conversation where it's clicking for people. Because I think for me, with the work that I do, because it, I mean, everything about what I do is about connecting to the history and kind of like getting people to understand denim jeans, the the thing that is so common in an American household are a literal representation of the efforts of enslaved Africans. Yes, um, yes. You know, like there's so many things, but it's like we've been so conditioned and we've moved so far away from those things. And it's often really taxing for us as Black folks in the fiber community to have to not only try to be creative, but to also then try to educate people. And then for that education to be something that is linked to like a personal trauma and uh, it, it's just so much it's it's so much deeper and so yeah I do I understand everything that you're saying about like the current climate you know it is bittersweet because it is a good thing that it's happening but it's also like why is this what it took and hopefully this is the last time it has to take because it's going to catch on and then it will continue to create equity you know within the industry and so yes <laughs> everything that you said completely resonated with me and I appreciate you for sharing that yeah absolutely and I feel like um I don't know it's hard I've been telling friends too especially growing up in Minnesota I mostly knew white folks my parents um had us living in the suburbs and we were the only people of color for probably miles um in Bloomington, Minnesota. (laughs) Um, And I do feel like it's a fine line because so many people are asking me, what can they do? And especially when it comes to allyship, I've been telling them that a white person who has done the work will be able to tell you how to be a white ally much better than I ever could as a black person. And I also think it's just like the black experience, this is going to have multiple angles and views as black people. Some people I know they are still raring to go and so ready to educate people. And I was at points in my life, but at this point, I'm really tired. <laughs> I'm mm. tired of having to be eloquent and, and tiptoe around people's feelings. And I feel like I I have my list of people of color who are making fiber work and I will happily share that and I will send you to someone who I know who is a white ally and will talk to you about that but I've really stepped back I'm <laughs> at the same time I'm more vocal but I'm more vocal about my need to be a little more removed just for my sanity <laughs> at this point <laughs> Um, because it's, it's tough. I think in some ways it shouldn't just be on us to champion our peers. I feel like it, it already should have happened, but it also, it's going to take everyone to change the disparities everywhere, not just in the fiber community, but Mm. everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. It's tough. And I, for the past couple of weeks, I've kind of just been paying attention and kind of just watching and seeing how things go. And um, I'm really not that much of a social media person. I barely post. It's something that I don't enjoy, but I guess I started using it because of uh, working on the podcast. I actually made my first Instagram when I started the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it, it is very taxing, but uh, I feel you and, you know, it's just just like (laughs) yep yeah that sigh could just be like the tagline of a lot of things right now (laughs) yeah it's just like i don't even uh yeah (laughs) um but do you have any new projects or future prospects that you'd like to share with our listeners yeah um i i'm trying to kind of reassess my own practice right now. I feel like um, I still have a few commissions in the works. Um, but I do think that because I have the privilege of still being employed and having income coming from my not quite full time job, um, I have wanted to make pieces more for either a raffle or just if you purchase this, all funds go to um, either Black Lives Matter or the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Um, Just because I feel like I should use my financial status (laughs) for good and my platform for good. And um, I owe it to my friends that I'm making pieces for right now to finish those, but it feels like that's not really what's needed right now. Not just making things for people in their homes. I want to do more with my fiber work and my platform. So that is what's next. I think, I don't know what that's going to look like yet. (laughs) Um, I took a day off today and I've just started brainstorming. So stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. And where can people go on social media? and the internet to follow you and your work. Yeah, I'm on Instagram as Stitchering Shop. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R-I-N-G underscore shop. Um, I'm on Etsy with that as well. And speaking of Etsy, I did find the name of that gentleman who makes those looms. <laughs> um, <laughs> he His name is Dried Nature, and he is in Latvia. So with shipping delays, that could pose problems for some people but he is very kind and is really excited about making work and tools for artists and he was a great resource when I was teaching um he would send like 20 or 30 blooms at a time and they would come with shuttles and a needle and he was great (laughs) um so yes I am on Etsy he is on Etsy I am on Instagram and that's where you can find me Amazing. Well, definitely make sure that we link to his website for people who are interested. Yeah. So before you go, we have one question that we ask everyone that joins the podcast. And that is, do you have any advice or words of wisdom to share with weavers and textile enthusiasts? Yeah. Um, gosh, I said it earlier in the podcast that if you have ever thought about 
teaching a class, teaching a neighbor, teaching your children, <laughs> um, find a way to cater what you do to those people. It's going to make them happy. It will improve how you see your own work too. Um, I had some engineers in my weaving class and how they approached weaving just boggled my mind. <laughs> um, I was so amazed. Um, and if you don't want to do that, just find time to keep working. I feel like I have never been so productive with fiber and unproductive in my day job. And I've <laughs> seen myself improve just by doing this work so much more frequently and I think it'll just make the world a more beautiful place the more fiber we have in it <laughs> amazing thank you so much for the wonderful conversation yeah thank you for taking the time and please stay safe absolutely that's a wrap as you can tell I really enjoyed speaking with Michelle this week and all of the wonderful insights that she brought to this podcast. I think it's important that we continue to keep these conversations going, especially in the times that we're living in. That being said, if you're interested in supporting Michelle's work, you can find links in the show notes at www.justyarn.com slash episode 110. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. We will see you again for next week's fascinating episode. And until next time, happy week.